Welcome to the Arts Hubbub, a monthly look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Dunford. This month, like the rest of the world, we're adapting to COVID-19. We're doing things a little bit differently. Amid a grim acceptance of this new life of not performing or going to galleries, we found hope. We found some artists who are enjoying isolation and finding new ways to work and live. They talked about the changes in their practice, their work environments, their motivation, and even their incomes. We spoke to comedian Josh Earl, who has found new ways to monetize his podcast. Donna Ward, author of the memoir She I Dare Not Name, a spinster's meditation on life, talks about how she's been ahead of the isolation curve for years. And we asked Acme Seb Chan about how being closed has actually helped their organisation to adapt to lockdown. Finally, we get some tips from clinical psychologist Dr Jane Miskovich-Wheatley about how we can better cope with isolation. We all have a moment when coronavirus became real for us. Whether it was the news slamming us in the face, a friend of a friend becoming ill, or the loss of work or gigs. For writer Donna Ward, it was one day in the supermarket. She was still concerned about the bushfires when COVID-19 really hit. I was standing in front of the Long Life Milk and the radio was on and it was news time. And they were speaking about the bushfires on the news and then they made the announcement about Wuhan in China being closed down due to coronavirus. And I remembered SARS and I remembered MERS and I couldn't believe that I was in a world where these two things, my country was on fire and there was a virus being incubated in China. And so I thought to myself, even though I, I rarely have milk in my diet, there's a few things I'll have, I just thought I'd better take another packet of uh, long life milk and put it in the cupboard. <laughs> so I began um, panic buying rather early, I have to say. <laughs> Donna's grown comfortable with being by herself, as she describes in She I Dare Not Name, her memoir about being a single woman in her 60s. It's a playful and insightful read that sometimes seems ready-made for this isolation era we're living in. This lockdown is actually something Donna's already prepared for in a lot of ways. I went through what a lot of people are going through now in my late 30s and 40s. I went through that sense of um, being utterly alone in the world because my mother had died and I hadn't managed to find someone to settle in with for the duration or even for, <laughs> for enough time to make children. So I was coming to terms with that in my late 30s, very early 40s, on into my 40s where I was really, really seeing the end of my family time. But once you get over the grief of the life that you thought you were going to live, and once you get over the grief of the, the family that has had its day and passed on, what you're left with is how do you live all this time that you have to yourself? Because at that time, I also lost my job. So lots of elements that people would be experiencing today are experienced in my 40s. And I think a lot of women in particular in their late 30s and 40s now will be experiencing that kind of rugged loneliness where you have hours on end, sometimes even days on end to yourself. Talking to Donna via Zoom, you really don't get the impression of someone who's lonely in isolation. Rather, she's grown into her time of being by herself. What I learnt 
very early in the piece was to make sure that the transition from being out in the world, from spending time with friends or being in a movie or going to a gallery or whatever the things that I did, was that the transition between that and getting into the house was managed, very well managed, because in the house I met loneliness and despair and all the things that I didn't have when I was talking to my friends just outside the door. I made sure that if I was feeling at all low that I would go for a walk or I would go browsing in shops or I would take the long ride home so that I had transitioned into being on my own. That way the person that I call the gritty beast in the book doesn't pounce on me or didn't pounce on me so easily, that I was ready and prepared. The other thing that I think is that I learned very, very quickly, and I think it's something that's really important to remember now, is to get yourself a task that you think is totally impossible for you to do. I decided back then in my 40s to write a book and it's taken me 20 years to get that book out. I've uh, done some other things along the way, but that book saved my life as, as art saves lots of people's lives because we genuinely think we cannot do. I never thought that I could write a book. I just thought I need something that's bigger than me to contain me, to hold me in this time. Finding that new project can help establish some structure and routine in your life in a time that feels turned upside down by change. For Donna, these routines are almost monkish. When you've got this time alone, you can't not think of what it's like to be a monk or someone in a closed order. And what they have is a highly ritualised, highly routine life. They get up, they pray in the morning, vespers, they pray at lunchtime, they go to work in the kitchen or the, the garden or they have a job there and then they come to lunch and they pray over lunch and they have daily prayers there, they have prayers at, in the evening and they have prayers at midnight. That's the round of the day, the great round of the day to remind themselves that they are living in a day. This is what we need to do now. And those routines can be pretty simple. Donna gets up early, sets herself a work day for her next book, and in the evening she stops for a break at the same time every night. In the evening at six o'clock I watch the drum religiously. It's my evening prayers, if you like. And that's enough news for me. I don't watch COVID news every five seconds. To hear constantly about COVID-19 is to only hear the same thing over and over. I was different during the fires. With the fires, I was totally and utterly glued to every development. And I was like that because it was constantly changing. Whereas with COVID-19, it's not actually constantly changing. We only need to, I personally only need to know how many people died today. That's important to me. I want to feel sad about that. I want to know whether the curve's flattening. I don't want to know the politic of it because I think the politics at the moment is so strange. For comedian Josh Earl, COVID-19 has meant that he's cancelled gigs at comedy festivals and instead of touring, he's found himself at home. We wanted to know if he was missing those live performances. I've been doing a bit of stuff online and did a live stream where it was just five comics and that, you know, that's enough of a group that you can get some laughter within the group. 
to Xavier. Now, last time Danielle went home, she got into an argument with family members over calamari. Some family members, while they were eating it, were saying, I love octopus. And Danielle corrected them saying, it's not, it's, it's squid. The family mm-hmm. members disagreed, so Danielle Googled it, showed them, and then after that, they even said, agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, or no. But it is that thing of like, because I was interviewed before uh, ABC and they were like, uh, are you like, do you think this is the way of the future? Is it, would this overtake live performance? Like, no, I don't think there's anything that can capture that live performance. There's something really special about live performance that I don't think a Zoom meeting is going to capture. Watching live performance, it can go off the rails or it can like be amazing. And whereas a film thing, you know they've edited it. So, you know, there's something removed from you and the, and the performer. I think that is something that you can't capture on a, on a Zoom, unfortunately. And I think that's, that's what I miss the most as well, just seeing someone completely in their element and going, I'm, I'm more comfortable here on stage than I am in any other part of my life. And that has been taken away from a lot of people. And you see a lot of people now struggling, going, all right, what do I do? And I, I'm, I'm lucky that I've got a podcast that is successful enough that it's paying my rent at the minute. But there are a lot of other people who, and you see it in the Tonight Shows in America where you think, how are you not knowing how to set a camera up and stuff like that where YouTubers have been on the, like, the forefront of this and it doesn't take much to buy a decent camera and learn how to work Zoom. While he misses live performance, Josh is better placed than a lot of performers to present his work digitally. Josh took control of his own comedy career by starting the podcast Don't You Know Who I Am, which draws together comedians in a loose game show format to share their best material. I've been doing the podcast for four years now and giving out free every Wednesday it goes out. That It's like, well, people know now that this is, this is my only source of income. And so I'm like, well... I'm going to put up these special streamed episodes for $10. You can uh, watch them live as they're streamed or you can watch them for 24 hours after the stream finishes and then they disappear forever. And so it's kind of trying to tap into that. Well, you've only got a small window to see it, which is what, what I like about live stuff. It's like you had to be in the room or you missed it. And so because a lot of listeners are overseas and we're doing it at 4.30, it's like, well, they don't want to get up at 5 in the morning in America and watch it. So I thought, well, we'll put it up for 24 hours and then it, then it goes. And that's also been really good that I've had a lot of people hit me up saying, oh, that's great because I, for whatever reason, I can't uh, travel into the city or I have kids and I, I can't really watch it at 4.30. So watching it when they go to bed, that's really great. Yeah, so I've been doing that with the podcast and then for my own stuff, putting up old shows that I've got in the files, just recording from the desk and going, there's that on my band camp, listen to that, $5 and really pumping up the merch that I'm selling and uh, a Patreon, which people have been really generous with at the minute, but, you know, everyone's going to be in the same boat as the artists are very soon. And so at the minute I'm just going, well, this is good for now, but if it's talk of 18 months and still live performance can uh, go ahead, I'm going, well, hopefully it can stay good or, yeah, we can keep, keep putting these out. And that's how a lot of artists are feeling. How long will they have to last on savings or borrowings if this lockdown goes on and on? Josh has good advice for artists hoping to start their own projects during this time. 
Yeah, I think the big thing is don't rush it. I think that's what a lot of people do. They're like, just going, oh, I've got to do something. I'm creative. I just want to create, so I'm going to rush it. And then the product is not that great. And you do only get that one chance. People were like, okay, let's have a look at what this is. I watched it. It's, it's The quality is bad or whatever it is. So I think getting the quality of whatever you're filming it on is really good. Coming up, we talk about how an organisation can survive the change of sending all of its staff home. Plus, those tips on keeping yourself sane during isolation. Looking for some stimulation and inspiration to keep the cabin fever at bay? Check out the National Portrait Gallery's free online program, The Amazing Face, a 14-day dive into portraiture. Through text, visuals and audio, alongside activities to boost your creativity and resourcefulness, learn the language of portraiture at portrait.gov.au. Seb Chan is the Chief Experience Officer at ACME, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. For him, it was the toilet rolls that really brought the change home. We have a subscription to one of those recycled toilet paper services. When everyone was out, a delivery arrives on our door and, you know, I'd go out to get it from the guy and the guy's, the guy's like, get it inside quick, man, otherwise some, someone will come and steal it from you. You know, so, you know, it was pretty crazy. And I think that just, just the speed, I think it was really that, that, that sense of um, being caught up in a moment that was moving faster than you could comprehend and faster than you could plan for. And I think all those personal responses to planning for change just went out, you know, it was like, oh my God, I don't have time to plan anything. Acme had to pivot quickly to send staff home. And like his team, Seb found he was suddenly at home with his partner and two children trying to manoeuvre his job in this new context. At its worst, there have been four of them all on conference calls while someone is downloading a patch for a game. But it's been good to see his family more and appreciate some of his kids' other talents. Also been really good that they love uh, to cook, so... I'll, I'll kind of be on a conference call with my team at work and suddenly some fresh lemonade scones will land next to me with some cream and jam and it's like, oh my God, and colleagues are like, wow, that's, that's so, we're so jealous. Why can't we have kids that cook? Acme's been closed for substantial renovations for the last year. So in some ways, working from home was easier for them than other cultural institutions. We very early on made it optional for staff to choose to work from home and also to do trials. But what we hadn't tried, of course, was that at scale, at organisation scale. So, so as soon as it became clear that a shutdown may, may be coming in the future, uh, we offered staff first, could they work from home? And we worked with our managers to help managers figure out how to manage remote working staff and we offered people the option so if you felt safer working from home give it a go try it out try it a day a week try it two days separately and that working from home meant that Seb staff saw a huge change in their working environment people have different situations at home they have complexities around working times people with families have different rhythms that they're trying to learn so that sort of sense of being able to flex the organization or someone's workload around that has been important and also just an acknowledgement that in terms of output capacity or whatever you might call call that people are going to be working at some percentage between 40 and 80 percent or 20 and 80 percent capacity day to day and that's fine 
because actually what, what we find is that, that the work-home balance is like it's all home now and that sense of, you know, in my house I have my work, work environment is now like my bedroom where I sleep and that's kind of weird, you know. It's like the, the divide of my spaces is quite challenging. And Seb found himself in more Zoom meetings than he'd been having physical meetings in the office. But as Josh and many others found, Zoom is a very different interaction. And Seb was exhausted after days of those video meetings. When you're concentrating, looking at other people's faces for such a long, long period of time, it's actually physically exhausting. When you're in a meeting room with other people, you don't look people in the eye for like 20 minutes at a time in a focused way. But when you're on a video chat, you totally are. And it's much harder. Acme's renovations had them in a mood for change already. We'd already been closed for a year, so we knew that whatever world we were going to reopen in was going to be different to the world we closed in. I think it's much harder for organisations who have suddenly needed to close. They haven't had that period to come to terms with a different context. Now, of course, the context for us will be much more radically changed, potentially, when we reopen. But at least we knew it was going to be changed. So what kind of changes will come out of this lockdown? That radically changed context will be very different. Seb sees that streaming and digital will become much more central to our lives. But also, how we work will be very different. People will ask, why can't I work from home more often? What is the office actually for? And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think if... People can work work from home effect, effectively and they will be building up new ways of working. I don't think that work workplace is necessarily going to go, go back to everybody has to be in the building all of the time at the same time sort of model, which I think is incredibly positive for more flexible working practices. I also think that the sort of ways of thinking about the future are always very rooted in today's models. And I think we're all working from assumptions that were, that predate the last month. So all the assumptions about the, the future, all the ways of thinking about the future, all the ways of thinking about the present are actually still based in a pre-pandemic mode of thinking. So we, we don't have a way of imagining the post except from the pre. And I think possibly over the next three to six months, you'll start to see an emergent series of imaginings, you know, assuming artists and creatives who are often the ones doing that imagining with and for our societies. And I'm hoping that they can help us think about those sort of post-coronavirus futures in ways that don't assume a pre-coronavirus world. Arts Hub, we've been supporting Australian art for 20 years. Our team of writers and journalists keep the arts community informed and connected, a vital role in these challenging times. You can support our work by joining or giving a membership to a friend at support.artshub.com.au. Finally, let's hear from Dr Jane Miskovich-Wheatley, a clinical psychologist who's worked closely with the Arts Wellbeing Collective. Arts Hub's Sabine Briggs asked her for tips to help us all get through isolation. Now, first, I thought I'd just ask you, you know, I'm interested in 
artists who are used to touring and being abroad, living out of a suitcase, and now it's a really big adjustment for them being confined to their homes. So I guess, yeah, I just wanted to know if there's any key pieces of advice that you can sort of gather from the conversations that you've kind of had with them that might be helpful. Actually, there are a number of similarities in a way about being on tour and being in isolation because when you are on tour, you're often not able to see your family and friends face-to-face and you are contacting via screens. You have to adjust your usual routines. You have to be kind of creative in the way that you find your exercise and enjoyable activities. So there are some common elements, but the obvious differences are not travelling, not working, not continuing or creating in a way that you would prefer. Um, And I think some of the common issues that are really coming across are people feeling overwhelmed and uncertain, which I think is very understandable. Those ideas about feeling isolated, even angry, frustrated about what the situation is and so much is beyond our control, Um, feeling depressed because there's often a lot of those things that you can't engage in that helps keep you mentally well and and really understandable anxiety about the industry, the pandemic, work, and when our preferred lifestyle will be accessible again. I think we have to remember that we've all been through an extreme shock um, and part of moving through this is trying to really accept and understand the bigger picture, to really trust that this is temporary and to focus on what we can control how we can care for ourselves and how we can care for those around us. So I think the key pieces of advice I've got are really similar to what I would give to people who are on tour, getting good night's sleep, engaging in something enjoyable to boost your mood, engaging in exercise that you like to boost your adrenaline and your, um, you know, your lovely good feeling endorphins. To give yourself a break when you need to with mindfulness or meditation or listening to music or reading a book, to contact people, those around you, and to be creative in that contact, and to seek help if you feel unwell. At this point, there's so much going on, we just need to keep a hold of those really simple strategies. I guess because of COVID-19, there are so many artists who are out of work. And yeah, I was really interested in, um, you know, the piece that you recently wrote for the Arts Wellbeing Collective on looking after your mental health. And you were giving some advice on long-term and Mm short-term goals for the artists um, whose employment had been affected. I think we all need to remember that it's not just the pandemic. We've actually been through months and months of really collective trauma and loss in a way, especially in Australia. We've come from droughts, bushfires, floods, a pandemic, the shutting down of our lives, the shutting down of the arts industry, employment opportunities, let alone all of those normal things that we juggle, normal life stresses and work stresses. And I think we've been in fight or flight mode collectively for about six months now. And at this point in time, we need to focus on recovery and then rebuild strength and resilience because we've got a journey ahead of us. So the idea about thinking about what we need to do in the short term. I think the goal is really about survival. And that is really dependent on what survival means to you and the people around you. Because I think that's going to prepare us for what we need to do in the long term. We've got a really long journey ahead of us to rebuild our lives, rebuild our society in a way, and rebuild our industry. So much is uncertain at the moment. But what we need to remember is that this is temporary. We're going to come back. We are going to come back stronger and more resilient, but we need to use this short-term time to be ready for that long-term fight. How important do you think it is to strike a balance between being productive and and having a rest when, when people are kind of trapped in their houses at the moment? The issue 
about creativity is so inherently personal. So I think it really comes down to recognising what is going to help you at this point in time. If engaging in creative practice helps you through this time, if if you do feel like you're in a space, a headspace and an emotional space and a creative space that you can um, use the time and, and be inspired to work, that's wonderful. You know, it, it's it that would be a fantastic way and a really different perspective that you've got. But at the end of the day, we've got so much going on. What we don't need is pressure or guilt. We don't need to make our lives any more challenging than they already are. One of the things that I do think we do have is time. And often we see time as something that we never have enough of. But we once we get through the the trauma experience, hopefully we see that our experience of time could be a gift. This could be a time where people could look at new skills or look at new creative practice or look at um, re-education or learning, again, with that goal of building resilience. But again, I think that needs to come when it's at the right time and place for, for the individual because it's going to be helpful and not an added burden. We're encouraging anybody who does feel unwell to make sure they seek help. But we've also got to remember that sometimes people won't. So if there's anybody in your personal life or anybody who you're working with who you may be concerned about or has had mental health concerns in the past or you feel might not be engaging, I think it's always good to check in, always good to ask the question um, because we just want to always make sure that if people do need help, they are seeking it and they know that help is available. So um, I'd there's a lot of resources such as Beyond Blue and Lifeline and the Support Act Wellbeing Helpline, which is art-specific, Entertainment Assist, the Actors Benevolent Fund, and also understanding that if anybody does need to speak to a psychologist, that in a way they're more accessible than ever because of the provision of Medicare telehealth sessions. So it's just really important that if people do need help, that they know that help is available and that we do make sure we're checking in with those that we care about around us. That was Sabine Bricks talking with Dr Jane Miskovich-Wheatley. And at Arts Hub, we'd encourage you to seek help from Lifeline at 13 11 14 or go to lifeline.com.au. If you're in the performing arts industry, you can also use the 24-7 helpline from Support Act by phoning 1800 959-500. Thanks for letting us into your isolation for this episode of the Arts Hub Up, and we'll be back next month for what's happening in the arts. Thanks to our guests Seb Chan, Jane Miskovich-Wheatley, Josh Earl and Donna Ward for letting us into their social isolation at this very weird time. The Arts Hubbub is produced by Michelle Macklem, Richard Watts, Sabine Briggs, and me, George Dunford. Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Scheel. Music in this episode was also by The Other Stars. We've recently made all of our coverage of COVID-19 free outside of the paywall, so you can stay connected during isolation at artshub.com.au. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation, we pay our respects to the Kulin elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded.